Again, this morning, let me invite your attention. James chapter 4, Successful Christian Living. May the 1st, 1992 is a day that I'll never forget. It's a Friday. I was trying to get a hold of my dad on May 1st, 30 years ago today. I was trying to get a hold of my dad. The Lord had given me an opportunity. He had started coming to the church where I was serving, and I had an opportunity to standing in the altar one day and shared Christ with my dad. So I knew my dad had a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so on that Friday afternoon, I was trying to call him and to say, Dad, I want to encourage you Sunday morning in the invitation time. I want to encourage you to step out, walk down the aisle, and join our church family this coming Sunday morning. And so I was trying to do that on Friday afternoon, never could reach him. And then finally, I get a call from a family friend who was in the law enforcement world and called and said, I want you to know your dad has been involved in a boating accident. As soon as you can, if you'll go to the hospital, you'll find him there. I called Angie. She was working at a bank, and uh, ultimately she was able to make her way because a police officer picked her up, took her to the hospital. And we got to the hospital in Glasgow, Kentucky that Friday afternoon, May 1st, 1992, to realize that my dad had been severely injured in a boating accident. They stat-flighted him to University Hospital in Louisville, where we drove, and we walked into the hospital, and we were met by a chaplain and who took us into a little room and he said to us at University Hospital, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but your dad didn't survive. He passed away 30 years ago today. And as I think about that Friday afternoon and my dad, I, I, I know on many occasions when he walked out the door that Friday afternoon, he never dreamt he would never walk back in that door. But, but I want to challenge us this morning. As we think about successful Christian living, I want you to understand, and you know this, you know how fragile life is. You know how uncertain life is. But also, I want to encourage you to think through the urgency of the moment. Again, I was doing everything I could that Friday afternoon to encourage my dad to walk the aisle come Sunday morning. But for him, Sunday never came. And so I just want to appeal to you in the room and those who are watching, don't miss the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you need to make a decision today, life is uncertain, life is fragile, the moment is urgent, make sure you surrender your life to Jesus today. Give him your life. Don't procrastinate. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't reason away that, that you've got many, many months or years to go. Don't believe the enemy's lies to say you can do that sometime else. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life today, you know you need Jesus. You need to be obedient in baptism. You need to join the fellowship of this church. You need to make another spiritual decision. I just appeal to you, even now, obey the leadership of Jesus today. It's not about the numbers. It's about you. It's about your soul. It's about your obedience to the person of Christ. James chapter 4, he's talking about successful Christian living. You can walk into any bookstore, and you're going to find many titles about success. If you want to know how to be a successful parent, you'll find a book to tell you how. If you want to be successful in a sport, you'll be able to find a book that will give you instructions how to do so. If you want to be successful as a leader, there are many, many resources out there on how to be successful as a leader. If you want to be successful in the business world, you'll be able to find books available to say, here's the behaviors, here's what you do to be successful in the business world. But I want to ask us this morning as we look at God's word in James 4, what does it mean to be successful in the Christian life? 
Now, you've got to understand, what he, when I say successful, I'm not talking about the world's way of success. What does it mean to be successful in the eyes of God? Because successful Christian living may not have anything to do with money or fame. I know many people who are successful in the Christian life, and they're not wealthy by the standards of this world, nor are they famous by this world either. But they're faithful to Christ. Being successful in the Christian life doesn't mean you pastor a large church. Many of my heroes in ministry are bivocational pastors. They work a job. They love their spouses. They're raising their kids. But they also love the people of God. And they're preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, doing pastoral care for very little money, no fame. But they're faithful to Christ. They are some of my heroes again in Christian ministry. I appreciate those men who serve that way. But when I come along and say successful Christian living, here's what I mean. You're faithful to Jesus Christ. You spend time with him. You walk with him. You adore him. You seek to love him with all of your life. You're faithful to Jesus Christ. When I say successful Christian living, I mean you serve the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You don't sit on the sidelines and watch others serve. You say, he saved me, he redeemed me, he's gifted me by the Holy Spirit. He's called me to serve. And so you're serving Christ in your life. When I say successful Christian living, I mean you're seeking to influence other people around you for the glory of Christ. You're a leader. You're influencing kids, grandkids, people in your school, people in your workplace. You're, you're a witness for Christ, and God is using you in your sphere of life. And when I say successful Christian living, you're doing everything you can by the power of the Holy Spirit to help build his church. Jesus said at a place called Caesarea Philippi, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Well, if he's building his church and our goal is to be like him, then we need to be building his church as well. That's successful Christian living. Are you living a successful Christian life? You may be a believer here as a, as, a, as a child, student, adult. Are you living a successful Christian life? Book of James chapter 4. We see God's word because he is writing here to a group of believers who needed to experience healing with God, but also healing with one another. Uh, they needed a, a, a renewal in their relationship with God, but they also need a restoration in their relationship with one another. So he comes along and he says to them, I understand again that there's conflict in your midst as a church because there's conflict in your own life. I want to ask you this morning, those here watching, when's the last time you were broken over the sin in your life? I mean, you knew that you had sinned and disobeyed God and you were broken over that. Let me ask you this, when's the last time you've been broken over the sin of other people around you? Let me give you two biblical illustrations of that. One is Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, what did Isaiah say? I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah knew that he had sinned, and people around him had sinned. And he was broken over that. Nehemiah, one of the great leaders in the Old Testament, one of the great leaders in the Bible, he said, God, I know I've sinned against you, but my father's house, we've sinned against you as well. When's the last time we've been broken over sin in our lives, but also broken over sin in the lives of other people around us? James is writing to these believers. They didn't need to be saved because they were saved, but he's writing to them, and here's the context. They were laughing at things that should have made them cry. And he points that out in the text. 
James is ultimately saying to them, I know many of you say you're teachers, but in fact you're not really teachers at all because you're not teaching the truth. Many of you are playing church because your hearts are not in it at all. And James has a strong word to them to say, if you're going to live a Christian life, but a successful Christian life, then these things are essential to you. He is going to give them a list of biblical commands. And these commands are not options, they're not suggestions, they're not alternatives. These are imperatives, commands from God to say, if you're going to live a successful Christian life, you need to obey what God is saying in James chapter 4. Same is true in our day. Let's walk through these. Look at number one, the eternal. James comes right out in verse 7 and he says what? Submit yourselves therefore to God. What does the word submit mean? You may want to write out in your notes. It just means to be subject to. It means to obey. Let me give you another word that we would understand. It means surrender. When you submit yourselves to God, therefore, what does it mean? You are subject to him. You obey him. But it means you've surrendered your life to him. So you wake up in the morning and say, Lord Jesus, I'm surrendering my day, my life, everything to you. Let me ask you on this Sunday morning. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus today? Let me ask you, have you surrendered your money to Jesus today? Have you surrendered your calendar, your schedule to Jesus today? Have you surrendered your influence to Jesus today? Have you surrendered everything of your life to him today? We sing that hymn, I surrender all, but have you made yourself subject to him? Are you obeying him? And have you surrendered your life to him? That's the eternal. Let me give you these two words. One is dedication. He says in this passage, submit yourselves therefore to God. You and I need to make sure in life, in the Christian life, if we're going to live a successful Christian life, we're not surrendered to the latest fad that goes on even in church life. We have to make sure that we're not surrendered to the latest program that happens in church life. We have to make sure that we're not surrendered to people's opinions even in church life. What does James say? Submit yourselves, therefore, to who? To God. Not to a fad, not to a program, not to an opinion, but to the Lord God Almighty. Are you surrendered to him? Also, you're going to realize when you surrender your life to him, you're dedicated to him, it is also going to mean this. It's going to be noticeable to other people around you because it's personal, but it's not private. You're not living in secret. Do other people look at your life and say, you are submitted, you are surrendered, you are subjected to God in life? And so would people look at your life and say, there is no question, he or she surrendered to God? If people looked at the way you handle money, would it be evident you are surrendered to God? If you looked at your calendar and the way you allocate your time, would it be evident you're surrendered to God in your life? And then when you look at the, your influence, would it be evident you're surrendered to God in your life? Be subject to him, surrender to him, obey him, be dedicated to him is what he's saying. Number two is the word devotion. When he goes on to say one, I'm going to give you the other side of this because he says, submit yourselves therefore to God, we're submitting to him. Then he says this, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Uh, what does it mean to draw near to God? It means you desire to live intimate with him, close to him. Now, now again, I want to ask kids and students and adults, are you living close to God in your life? And then I want to ask you this more personal question. How close do you want to live to him? 
The promise is if you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Here's what I've seen in the Christian life. There are many people, this is where God is at, and they're comfortable living over here. Well, you're not going to live a successful Christian life if God is here and you desire to live this far away from him. What you and I should desire today, whatever age you are as a believer, if you're going to live a successful Christian life, God, this is where you are, and this is how I want to live with you. I want to live intimate with you. So as a result, I'm going to submit to you, I'm going to surrender to you, but God, also I'm going to draw near to you. And so let me ask you again, are you surrendering in your life to God, but also are you drawing near to him in your life? Are you living like this or are you living like this? Church, the cry and desire of my heart every single day of my life. Oh God, never let me live like this. God, let me live with you like this. I want to be that intimate and personal and connected with him. I want to be that intimate with Jesus Christ in my life. Now, as you find yourself doing that again, it's going to be about worship. If you're going to live this intimate with him, you're going to live a successful Christian life. You're focused on dedication and devotion. It's about the eternal. It's not about the temporal. And you're going to live like this. It's going to be because you have a heart to worship. And please understand, worship has nothing to do with what I'm saying about the size of the crowd on Sunday morning. It has nothing to do with the length of the service has nothing to do with the style of music. It just means, God, you are worthy for me to adore you. And so when I get up on Monday morning, God, I'm going to adore you because I want to live like this. God, when I go about Tuesday, I'm going to adore you because I'm going to live like this. I'm going to worship you in spirit and in truth every single day of my life. But how many people desire, and they gather with God's people, and it's more about how they're going to be served than how they can serve. They gather with the people of God. It's more about what they're going to get than what they can give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So are you dedicated to Christ? Are you devoted to him? Are you focused on the eternal matters? Are you living intimate with Jesus Christ in your life? If you're going to live a successful Christian life, you've got to focus on the eternal. You've got to submit yourself to him. You've got to draw near to him. Lord, I don't want to live this way. God, I want to live this way. You'll live a successful Christian life. One, focus on the eternal. Number two, focus on the enemy. He goes on to say in this passage, to submit yourselves therefore to God. And then he says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's an interesting promise. Resist the devil. But who is the devil? He's our adversary. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone he can devour. James and Peter are in agreement. If you read 1 Peter chapter 5, what does Peter say? Peter says what? Resist him. What does James say? James says resist him. They're in agreement with one another. And so how do you respond to the enemy? You've got to realize there's joy in the Christian life, but the Christian life is not easy. Why? Because we're on a battlefield. We're in the midst of a war. The enemy is doing everything he can to come against you and me individually, but also as a church. Now you say, what does the enemy desire? Here's what he desires. I hope you're listening to this. Here's what he desires. You can write it down. You can rest assured on the authority of God's word. The enemy desires to destroy your life. The enemy desires to destroy your marriage. He desires to destroy your family. He desires to destroy this church. That's his goal. Still kill and destroy. But also you need to know this. If you love Jesus Christ with all of your life, the devil hates you. Hope you know that. 
Because he says resist the devil. You can resist the devil in your life. Please understand, you're not to play with him. He's not a friend of yours. He's a foe of yours. You're not to ignore him because the Bible says resist him. So if he says resist, it doesn't mean ignore. It means you can resist him. And so I just encourage you, if you're going to live a successful Christian life, you've got to focus on the eternal but also on the enemy. He wants you to be victorious. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now as I think about that, let me give you a couple other thoughts here. You're not going to do that on your own. There is no way you're going to be able to resist the devil on your own. You're going to do so because Jesus Christ is your Savior. He is your best friend, but he is the Lord of your life. And when he is your Savior, your best friend, the Lord of your life, you're going to be in a position to resist him, and he's going to flee from you. But please understand, he hates you. He hates this church. He does not want us to be devoted to Christ. He does not want us living like this with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God wants. The enemy doesn't want that. He says, resist him. Now, let me give you some blanks to fill in. How are you going to resist him? Here's some one. Here's some ideas. One, watch your activities. If you're going to resist the devil, there are some things you're not going to be able to do. You've got to watch your walk. You've got to watch your activities. There are places you should never go as a believer in Christ. There are things your eyes should never see as a believer in Christ. There are words that should never come out of your mouths as believers in Christ. You need to watch your activities. The enemy wants to trip you up and deceive you and destroy you. You need to be faithful to Christ even in the midst of your activities. Number two, wear your armor. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this, but you can read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Paul is writing about the full armor of God, that if you're going to resist the devil, you can't do so on your own. You need to put on every piece of the spiritual armor and take your stand against the devil and his wicked schemes. Be faithful to him. Wear the armor. Then number four, walk with, or three, walk with the Almighty. As you think about walking with God, you need to walk with Him in your life. And you say, what does that mean? It means that you pray without ceasing. You understand the importance of having a conversation with Almighty God. The one who created this day, who has given us life, who's given us everything, you can have a conversation with Him. You walk with the Almighty. You spend time in the Word of God. Let this book be a part of your life every single day of your life. You walk with Him. You worship the Lord God in spirit and truth by yourself, but also with the people of God. You are someone who is a worshiper in life. You understand the value of accountability. You need to have some trusted, godly people in your life who will ask you hard questions, who will walk with you, who will pray with you, who will keep you accountable if you're going to resist the devil. And then you need to be willing to confess sin. Folks, sin is not something to laugh about. You confess sin, not laugh about it. And so you need to be willing to come before God and say, God, if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness. And God, I've sinned against you by what I said, by what I did, even what I thought. God, I've sinned against you and I need forgiveness. If you will walk with the Almighty, you will be able to resist the devil in life. And that's successful Christian living. Now, here's what the enemy is going to do. I promise you this. Here's how he works. Write these in. He's going to call you to question God and his promises. That's how he works. Go back in the book of Genesis. What did the enemy say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? So so when you look and you say the local church, well, I need to be involved in the local church. The enemy will say, now, did God really say the church is important? 
You think about somebody who's wounded you and hurt you and you need to practice forgiveness. The enemy will say, did God really say you need to forgive that person who hurt and wounded you? The offering plate passes. We make an appeal to give. Generosity is a part of the Christian life. The enemy is going to say, did God really say you need to be generous in the Christian life? Well, yes, he's generous. We need to be generous. Yes, he forgave you and me. We need to forgive one another. Listen, he's established a church, and the church is his bride. We need to be committed to the church as well. But the enemy is going to get you to question God and his promises. Number two, keep God's word closed. He will do everything he can to fill your schedule with things so that you do not have time for the word of God in your life. You can write this down. If the enemy can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Why? Because he doesn't want you praying to God. He doesn't want you in the Bible. He doesn't want you to worship with God's people. He doesn't want you to be accountable to other people. He doesn't even want you to confess sin. But the enemy will do everything he can to keep you busy. And out of this book, listen, stay in the Word of God in your life. And then number three, meet needs outside the Lord. Here's what the enemy will do. The enemy will come along and say, listen, God's taking too long. You need to get that need met on your own. So instead of you waiting on God, you'll get the need met on your own, oftentimes outside of the will of God in your life. He'll also say, God doesn't care about you. That's why your need's not been met. He'll also say, you can get that on your own. Just go ahead. You don't have to wait on God. Just take matters into your own hands. The enemy would do it. But the good news, according to God's word, successful Christian living, James would also, Peter, you can resist the devil. And then he'll flee from you. Number three, the ego. On one hand, we've got the eternal. We've also got the enemy. Then we've got the ego. And what does James come along? And he says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And then he says these words. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. They were laughing at disobedience to God. Can you imagine how God's heart must have felt when they were laughing at sin and disobedience to him? But if you're going to be a successful in Christian living, you're going to have to deal with your ego, pride, or humility. And then just so you'll know, let me be crystal clear, God hates pride. He seeks a life of humility. Let, let me ask you this. In, in Psalm 139, Psalm, Psalm 139, the psalmist gives us this word here. Let me ask you, have you ever prayed this prayer in your life? Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you ever asked God to search your heart? God, am I prideful or am I living a life of humility? It's the ego. So we come back, James, back in James chapter 4, he's writing to them, very strong and pure, just cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's not calling them in, he's just sinners, they're disobedient to God. You double-minded, be wretched, mourn, and weep, let your laughter turn to mourning, your joy to gloom. Make sure you're broken in life. When's the last time you've been broken in the Christian life? How do I know if I'm living a life of humility? I'll give you these insights. Number one, confess personal sin. Folks, when you're living a life of humility and successful Christian living, you don't want to disobey God. You don't want to sin against Him. You don't enjoy habitual sin in your life. You want to confess sin and find God's forgiveness in life. 
That's successful Christian living. Do we all sin? Yes, we all sin. We all come short of God's glory, but I don't want to live in it. So I confess it and say, God, I want your forgiveness, your peace in my life, so I'm confessing my sin. Number two, you receive God's forgiveness. We have a forgiving Heavenly Father. When we sin against him, Jesus Christ went to the cross and gave his life, stretched out his hands, took nails, hands and feet, crown of thorns over his head, spear piercing his side, the blood of Christ flowing from Calvary's cross. He has forgiven us our sins. There is no forgiveness of sins outside the shedding of his blood. He has shed his blood for you and me. Our sins can be forgiven past, present, and future in Christ. And so when you live successful, you come and say, God, I've sinned against you. I want to live at peace. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to live free. So what do you do? You confess your sin and you receive God's forgiveness. Number three, you glorify the Lord. And everything about your life, you glorify him when you live a life of humility. In your life, your marriage, your family, your, your career, your workplace, your school, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. That's what Paul, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You glorify him and then sacrifice personal agendas. You come to that point in your life, you're going to live successful. You just say, God, it's, it's not about me, it's about you. What is your will? What is your agenda for my life? I sacrifice any personal agenda, and God, I want to be faithful to you. Acts 22, you may want to write this reference down. Paul gets saved. On the road to Damascus, the chief of sinners, he said about himself, the grace of God is so amazing, he surrendered his life, he got saved, and he's, he's, here he is before the Lord. And what is he? He asked two questions. And here's, here's to show you how Paul sacrificed his personal agenda. It was not about what Paul wanted. God, what do you want? And he asked these two questions. You and I need to be asking these same two questions in the Christian life. The first question in Acts chapter 22, it is this. Who are you, Lord? When's the last time in your prayer life you ask him, Lord, who are you? And he's going to show, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's going to show you he has forgiven you of your sin. He is never going to leave or forsake you. That's who he is. That's who the Lord is. Who are you, Lord? And then Paul's second question, he said, what shall I do, Lord? When's the last time you asked Jesus what you should do in your life? If you're going to live a successful Christian life, who are you, Lord? And what shall I do, Lord? And my yes is on the table. Whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. Because my ego is not one of pride, it's one of humility. Number four, the enjoyment. Folks, there are a lot of things we enjoy in life. Can I get an amen to that? You put a good filet in front of me, and I'm probably going to enjoy that if it's cooked right. Men, can I, do you agree? Uh, I, was, I was looking online the other night just at the top 100 golf courses, public golf courses from Golf Digest that you can play. And I thought, well, if I could play one of those, I'm sure I would enjoy that. Uh, how many of you enjoy a day off where you have no responsibility? It's just your day. You can do anything you want, just your day off. You would enjoy that. Grandkids. How many of you enjoy your grandkids? I was talking to a lady on Friday night who's getting ready to retire. And I said, what are you going to do in your retirement days? Immediately out of her mouth, she said, I'm going to enjoy my grandkids. What do you enjoy in your life? If I think about this text here, and he goes on to say, humble yourselves. 
And then he says, you humble yourself and he will exalt you. Uh, that's a promise of God. There are so many promises in the Bible that you and I should enjoy. When it comes to direction, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 said, if you'll trust him, if you'll lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways you acknowledge him, he promises to give you direction in life. That's a promise of God for you. Needs in life, you've probably got a lot of needs like I do this morning. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's a promise from the Lord. You look at it in life, again, with needs, and you find yourself, what did Paul say? My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. That's the promise of God to you and me. You think about the presence of God, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. The presence of God, what does the Bible say? I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Isn't that a wonderful promise that God has promised to always be with you and me? And then you think about heaven. What's it going to be like in heaven right now? We face death, we cry, we mourn, we face all these struggles in life. But according to Revelation 21, one day those are going to be in the past. Everything is going to become new. Heaven is going to be amazing for you and me. It is a promise of God for those who believe in him. Promises of God. Then I'm going to give you these three promises. Folks, these are shouting news right here. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Sinners, purify your hearts. Double-minded. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to gloom. In your mourning, enjoy the gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Here are the promises. Number one, what the devil will flee from you. Folks, that's a great word right there. You, you draw near to God. You do these things, he said. The devil will flee from you. Hallelujah. He's going to tempt you, but he's not going to have victory in your life. He's going to flee for you. Why? Because your heart is to Jesus. Greater is he who lives in you than he that is in the world. He will flee from you. I didn't make that up. That's what God said. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look at the second promise. God will draw near to you. I didn't make that promise up. God said, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Do you realize God talks to people who talked with him? You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's worth shouting. That's a hallelujah right there. And then number three, God will exalt you. Folks, understand, you're not exalt yourself. No one else is going to exalt you. The Bible says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He'll do it. What does that, that word mean? It just means this, that he will exalt you, meaning he will use you and put you at the right place at the right time. That's how God works. It's not about the size of this crowd. It's not about the audience. It's not about how many people are here. John, Mark, and I, Wednesday morning, were at a Dalton Teen Challenge over there off Wilma Rudolph. Just a handful of guys in that room. And on Wednesday morning, we go over there about once a month. John, Mark leads the music. I get to share the word with those guys. Almost any Wednesday when I go over there, it's just like the Holy Spirit says, I'm getting ready to move in this place. We walked in there Wednesday morning, beautiful time in worship with music, shared the word of God, gave an invitation. Six of those young men got on their knees on that floor, gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ on Wednesday morning. He will exalt you. 
What does that mean? He used us. He put us at the right place at the right time. Again, it's not about the size of the crowd. It's not about the performance. It's not about being on stage. It's about being exactly where God wants you at the right time for the right reason. That's how God works. Friday morning, Angie and I had the opportunity of coming onto this property Friday morning, going over in the student building and meeting with a group of, of mothers called MOPs, Mothers of Preschoolers. And we had the opportunity to talk about marriage. What does it mean to communicate in marriage? How does faith work out in marriage? It was like the presence of God was in that room as we shared with those ladies on Friday morning. The devil will flee from you. God will draw near to you. And he will exalt you. He'll put you at the right place at the right time. That's successful Christian living. Let me ask you this morning. Are you in your life, I'm not talking about somebody around you, I'm talking about you, are you living a successful Christian life? The eternal, the enemy, the ego, and the enjoyment. Are you enjoying your walk with Jesus are you enjoying your relationship with him promises I want us to bow together and again I, I just want to make an appeal to you again this morning May 1st 1992 my dad was 52 years old he lost his life on that Friday afternoon but he entered eternity I just want to appeal to you today on this 30th anniversary for me. Hard to believe 30 years have passed. If you're in this room or you're watching, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to follow him in baptism. You need to join this church. You need to make another spiritual decision. Maybe you're not living a successful Christian life. Maybe you're not enjoying your walk with Christ. I just encourage you today. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Don't believe the enemy's lie. I'm going to be here. Our pastoral team's going to be here. Prayer warriors are going to be here. You're watching online. You see an email address. You can respond to us there. Any platform you're watching on. And we'll respond back to you as quick as we can. But I'm just asking in this room and watching that there would be freedom and that you would obey the leadership of God. Follow his leadership. Submit to him. Draw near to him. And let him exalt you in your life. And you can do so because you surrender all to Him. When you look at your life, again, are you surrendering everything to Him? Everything to Him. Are you giving it to Him? Life, money, calendar, influence, everything to Him. Let this be a moment. Kids, students, adults. For we surrender everything to Christ. And we obey him. That's successful Christian living. Lord Jesus, thank you for surrendering everything for us. You went to a cross and gave your life for us. You walked out of that grave for us. And thank you, you're inviting us today to come to you and experience your grace, forgiveness, leadership, new life. And Lord, I pray today beyond just a song that we might sing, I surrender all. I pray it's the testimony of our lives and our feet today that we surrender all to you. All to you, Lord Jesus, we give. All we owe to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.